Good morning. I feel uh, privileged to be able to uh, speak in front of people again. For those of you who shared with me in the preaching for the last uh, few months, you know what it's like to preach to an empty room. And uh, that is uh, more challenging. So we are thankful for the opportunity to gather together, those of us who can, and obviously very happy for anyone who's able to join us uh, via Zoom as well. Uh, a lot of people have used these uh, COVID-19 days to do things that they haven't done. Um, some of them have taken uh, classes perhaps or picked up books to read or uh, things to listen to. Uh, one of the things I've been listening to is a book called The Glorious Cause, which uh, talks about the war of uh, the revolution or independence. What do we call it? The Revolutionary War. Uh, you think after listening to a book about it, I'd know. But uh, so I have a, a, a picture taken from it. Um, Maybe not from the book itself, but from the uh, same uh, history. And uh, we can get it up on the screen. Okay, so I'll move on without it. Uh, but uh, basically, it was a map of uh, the Battle of Yorktown. Uh, for those of you who are familiar with it, uh, Battle of Yorktown was the last major battle fought in the Revolutionary War. And that was when Washington uh, captured uh, one of the British armies. And um, that's considered to have been kind of the victory or the end of the war, even though there were still some negotiations left to be done. But uh, people often study uh, this old battle, whether the Battle of Yorktown or uh, other battles in history. Why? Uh, why would uh, military people study them? Uh, the answer is that uh, they want to learn the secret of success, right? People want to succeed in the military uh, engagements, and so they'll look at past uh, battles, past campaigns, and try to figure out, okay, these, these are the lessons to take away from this campaign. Uh, here are the right decisions made by the general uh, that helped him win. Uh, we tend to do the same as uh, Christians in regard to missions. We, we want to be successful in our missions, in uh, telling other people about the Lord. And uh, sometimes what we will do is we will study uh, what other missionaries have done in the past, particularly the successful ones, and see if we can uh, draw applications uh, to ourselves. Um, today, we won't be looking at a a historical mission, we will be looking at the instructions given uh, before a mission. Um, when you study these old battles, a lot of time you're limited of, with the knowledge we actually have of the battle. So the Battle of Yorktown may have been uh, fairly well documented, and maybe we know all the troop movements, uh, maybe we know everything that Washington was thinking, but maybe not. Uh, we may have lost some historical sources, and we don't actually know what the general was thinking, and we may not even know all the details of the battle. Um, 
So how much nicer it would be if we had George Washington come up and he would give us uh, an outline. This, this was my strategy for the campaign. Here is what I was thinking, here's why I was thinking it, and here is how I won the victory. Um, today we will do that in regards to missions because we will look not at the, at the history but at the actual instructions given by the general. The general uh, is the Lord Jesus and um, he was in charge of this first campaign, first missionary campaign recorded in the New Testament, <clears throat> also known sometimes as the sending out of the twelve, and he will give them instructions of what it is they need to do on this first missionary journey. And out of it, we will try to gather uh, ten basic principles for a successful mission. Okay, ten basics principle for a successful mission taken out of Jesus' instruction to the 12 disciples. So this is Matthew chapter 10. For those of you who have been with us, we've been studying through the Gospel of Matthew, and today we'll start chapter 10. Matthew 10, verse 1. And when he had called his 12 disciples to him, he gave them power over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease. Now the name of the 12 apostles are these. First, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Labeus, whose surname was Thaddeus, Simon the Canaanite, and Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent out and commanded them, saying, Do not go into the way of the Gentiles, and do not enter a city of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as you go, preach, saying, <clears throat> The kingdom of heaven is at hand. If I'm coughing, it's not because I'm sick, it's because I'm speaking, okay. No worries. Uh, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Provide neither gold nor silver nor copper, in your money belts, no bag for your journey, no two tunics, no sandals, no staffs, for a worker is worthy of his food. Now whatever city or town you enter, inquire who in it is worthy, and stay there till you go out. And when you go into a household, greet it. If the household is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And whoever will not receive you nor hear your words, when you depart from that house, shake off the dust from your feet. Assuredly, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. Okay, these were Jesus' instructions to the twelve disciples who became the 12 apostles 
whom Jesus sent out to preach the gospel, the first missionary campaign. Okay, what's the first principle we can take out of it is um, the justification to act. Um, the uh, revolutionaries, the fathers of the nation, when they started the Revolutionary War, felt they needed to justify it. They wrote, uh, um, trying to think, what was the name of that document? Was that the Declaration of Independence? Where they basically list the reasons of why they're doing it, and they basically laid the fault at the feet of George III. They basically said, you, you, you British have abused us so much, you've taken away our liberties, uh, we, we've, we're left with no choice but to rebel against the British rule. He had to, to justify it. What is the justification uh, for the mission? Uh, and again, the reason you need to justify war, war is a terrible thing, right? You have, people will die. You, you will consume huge amount of resources to do it. And you know what? In, in the missions, people will die. Uh, and uh, a huge amount of resources uh, will be spent uh, by us, by others, to, uh, to carry those missions. What is the justification? The justification for missions really was in our previous passage uh, when Jesus looked at the multitudes and he was moved with compassion for them. Then it says, then he asked he said to his disciples, pray that the Lord, the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And then in this passage, it says, and when he had called his 12 disciples to, them, to him, you know, then he does all these things. So Jesus really is the initiator of this mission. <clears throat> and, uh, and ideally, Jesus is the initiator of, of every mission. Uh, sometimes we might have other motivations for a mission. Um, it's possible that you really love the people that you want to reach with the gospel, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, in this case, that wouldn't have really worked because Jesus is sending the disciples to people they've never met. They don't have compassion for these people they're reaching out to because they don't know them. The difference with Jesus, he actually knows these people. Each and every one of these persons that the apostles will come to and share the gospel with uh, are people whom Jesus knows and Jesus loves. <clears throat> and, uh, and so that can be, that ought to be the, uh, the justification for every, uh, for every mission. It's called uh, the glory... Um, the book that I was reading was called The Glorious Cause because that is often the, the justification or the reason given for the Revolutionary War by Washington and others. They looked at it as the glorious cause, delivering us Americans from the rule of the British. That is the glorious cause. The glorious cause for us as Christians is really the unification of a sinner with Christ. Christ loves them and we should be eager to bring them into that relationship with Christ. It's not about the relationship with us, even though we may love them, and we may want to have a close relationship with them, and we may want to see them in heaven with us. Those are all good reasons, right, to witness to someone. But the glorious cause, 
is a sinner united with Christ. Uh, Paul says it this way to the Corinthians. He says, For I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy, for I have betrothed you to one husband, that I may possess, present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. Paul wasn't concerned about the unfaithfulness of the Corinthians to him. He was concerned about their unfaithfulness to Christ. I betrothed you to him. To the Thessalonians, he says, For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? What gave um, Paul joy was the thought of seeing the ones he reached to with their Savior, the Lord Jesus. That is the glorious cause of missions. Second principle uh, we see here <coughs> is, um, I call it a qualification to serve. Uh, Washington was interested in, in well-trained uh, soldiers. If we can move to the next uh, image. Uh, he didn't uh, want uh, sick soldiers. He didn't want uh, disabled soldiers. He uh, probably didn't want uh, you know, overweight or out of shape soldiers. He wanted soldiers that could be effective in the war, in the battle he was going to fight. What is the qualification we need as uh, believers or Jesus needs in missionaries? Uh, we see here a list of names. Uh, uh, James and Peter and John and others. Uh, what was it that all these people had in common? Well, Mark gives us a clue for that uh, in, the, in a parallel passage, Mark chapter 3. And he went, Jesus went up on a mountain and called to him those he himself wanted, and they came to him. Then he appointed 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach. What was the qualification to go out? It was to be with Jesus. Jesus is sending you on a mission of introducing sinners to himself, on bringing sinners to have a relationship with Jesus. How can you do it if you don't know him? Uh, Sometimes we think we need to be trained. Uh, people will go out to, to school for four years to get... Uh, degrees in theology. Uh, you don't need those in order to witness to someone. Uh, there's professors in theology that are unbelievers. They don't know the Lord Jesus. They don't have a personal relationship with him. They will be ineffective as missionaries. They can't introduce uh, people to a person they don't believe in. They don't have a relationship with. You, the, the, the youngest, simplest believer, can introduce someone to the Lord Jesus. Say, there's someone I want you to meet. He's my Savior. Let me tell you how he became my Savior. He wants to be your Savior, too. Right? That's something that the youngest, uh, the newest believer can do, and that's the qualification to serve as a missionary. <clears throat> the third uh, principle we see here is the power to win. What is the power you, win, you need to win uh, the battle as a missionary? 
it was interesting to me, when you look, uh, you hear about the Revolutionary War, uh, people had guns. And so you think, well, guns, guns are the power to win the battle. But uh, if you look at that image, you will see that those guns look kind of strange. They're very long. Can anyone tell me why they're so long? There's a knife at the end. Yeah, you call it a bayonet. When you attach it to the end of the gun, it's a bayonet. And uh, the British officers would tell their soldiers, look to your bayonets, right? Because that was often the charge that broke the, uh, the enemy. I mean, they would walk up to the enemy and they would shoot. Um, but guns in those days were not, uh, you know, maybe the same quality as today. So you didn't really hit that many people when you were shooting. Um, they definitely have some effectiveness, but what usually would, broke, uh, would break the enemy is that bayonet charge at the end. You, you'd shoot, and they would shoot, and you'd shoot, and eventually you would rush them with the bayonet. And that was often what actually broke the American army was the bayonet charge. Um, kind of gruesome. Uh, maybe it's inappropriate for a, for a message. But what are our bayonets? What is it that can win us the battle as a missionary? Well, the bayonet we have uh, is the sword of the Spirit. In Ephesians 6, <coughs> Paul speaks of the, um, the armor of, uh, of the Christian, or really uh, the armor of God, and he mentions there the sword of the spirit, which he says, is the word of God. So there's two things there. You have the spirit, and the spirit, we have to recognize, uh, is present with us in a way he wasn't present with the disciples on this first missionary journey. In John 16, Jesus, right before his death, tell his disciples, nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him. And that helper is the Holy Spirit. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. So that really is the power of, of, of bringing the gospel message lies in the work of the Holy Spirit, who has to convict people of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. It's not in me to convince anyone. It's the Holy Spirit. And we're told in Ephesians that the Word of God is the sword of the Spirit. So as I present the Word of God to people, I'm giving the Holy Spirit the sword that he needs to effectively convict the person of their sins. In Hebrews, it says it this way, for the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. So the British officers would tell their soldiers, look to your bayonets. And I will say to you, look to your Bibles as the effective weapon to, uh, to carry the word to people. 
Next, we see the strategy uh, to pursue. Jesus is telling his disciples, do not go into the way of the Gentiles and do not enter into a city of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. We might be a little bit bothered by this verse today because we know that God loves everybody, not just the Jews, but also the Gentiles and also uh, the Samaritans. And in fact, he will tell the same group of 12 later to, that they need to go into all the world. So why does he, in this place, tell them to not go to the Gentiles, but to go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel? The reason for it is God had a plan. He has been preparing a people, the Jewish people, uh, all this time. And in fact, John the Baptist came to them, and he was to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So he's already been preparing them. Now John the Baptist came. He's making them ready. Now Jesus comes so that they can receive him. And then they were the ones who were supposed to carry the gospel to the end of the world. And you might say to me, well, what happened? Did the plan fail? No, it succeeded. These 12 apostles will take, and I mean, they'll reach other Jews. Thousands of Jews were saved, maybe tens of thousands, and they carried the word to the Gentile world. And you had a people prepared that already had the Old Testament and had an ability of understanding the gospel and carrying the gospel on. So, Always the vision of Christ was the whole world. And that needs to remain our focus today. And so when we bring the gospel to people, we can certainly be trying to think, have a world vision, uh, maybe try to find people groups that are less reached, maybe try to find people in your neighborhood that are less reached. I served with Jews for Jesus for one summer in New York, and um, I think someone asked me, me, you know, why do, you know, why are you only trying to reach the God, Jews with the gospel? And it wasn't that Jews for Jesus only wanted to reach Jews uh, with the gospel, but they recognized the Jews as an unreached people group, as strange as it seemed to, to be, because most Christians just wouldn't witness to Jews. You know, they, they felt, well, Maybe they're already God's people and they don't need what I have to share with them. Or, uh, well, they've already said no 2,000 years ago, so I don't need to reach them. Uh, or they just found them more difficult to reach than others. And Jews for Jesus was a group of Jews who believed in Jesus that took up the challenge and said, there's a gap here. There's a people group that's not being reached. We need to find effective ways of reaching them. And Jews for Jesus... Uh, kept statistics of people who were saved, and nine Gentiles were being saved for every Jew that was being saved for Jews for Jesus. And Jews for Jesus said, praise the Lord, and they gave the contact of the person to a nearby church. So we don't want to limit our vision, but it's okay to focus and say, here's a, a group of people who really, really need the Lord, and there's nobody reaching them. I've been convicted somewhat of that here in Fremont with the Indian population. There's a lot of uh, Hindus and Muslims uh, from India who seem to have very little knowledge uh, of the gospel. There's, we know uh, some Indian believers, but they're mostly Indians that were believers in India that came to the United States as believers, and they're looking for Indian churches, but the great majority of Indians here do not know the Lord, probably over 90%. Uh, so we've made, I've personally made an effort to reach them, and you could be praying 
for my effort to be more effective. Uh, number five, what is the goal to achieve? So Washington, he was in Yorktown there to defeat the British, but uh, he, he had a bigger goal than capturing Cornwallis's army. His goal was to end the war. I want the British to leave us alone. And, uh, and so that was for him the, the final goal. What is the goal for us? Jesus said to his disciples, uh, let me find the verse. Uh, and as you go preach saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand, the way uh, a contemporary Jew would have understood it is like the Messiah is here, right? And he is bringing his kingdom. And you have an opportunity to receive the Messiah and his kingdom. This is your chance to be on the inn, right? Instead of the Messiah coming and, and taking over the world and you be among the lost, come into the kingdom, be part of the Messiah's kingdom. And that's the same mission uh, that we have today. We're inviting people to have a relationship with Christ. Paul said it in 2 Corinthians, now then we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. We're, we're calling to people to be reconciled. And that is uh, the goal of our, of our effort is to see a person united with Christ. What are the rules of engagement? That they, that's the sixth principle. Jesus says to his disciples, freely you have received, freely give. Uh, missionary commanders are often uh, often choose to limit the engagement of their armies. They don't just send out their soldiers and say, well, fight anyone who comes in your way, right? Just, you know, conquer the territory. Why not? Because um, you need a certain concentration of forces in order to win battles. Uh, you don't want your soldiers to be all spread out and all their energies dissipated, and then the enemy shows up with a major power and all of your soldiers are tired out, they're out of bullets and ammunition, they, they, they're no longer an effective uh, uh, fighting force. And so often military commanders will reserve their army and wait for an opportunity to gain something. Okay, here's a, an opportunity to gain a new city or gain a new territory or defeat an enemy army and they will only fight those battles that they feel they have to fight in order to win the war. Uh, how about us? Jesus says, freely you have received, freely uh, give. Uh, I used to think that what this verse meant is, well, don't charge anyone a fee for the gospel. Right? If you, you know, a person is on the street and you say, you know, I have the gospel, but that'll be $10, please. Uh, I don't think that's what the verse is actually saying, right? I think what it's really saying is uh, don't limit your sharing of uh, the gospel to someone who deserves it, right? Uh, we might have uh, our nice neighbors, the, the 
They're nicely dressed. We've been watching them. They've been mowing their lawn. Uh, they've been putting their trash out on time. So these are nice people. And uh, maybe they would be nice people to invite to our church. And uh, you know, we'll witness to these people because they have something to offer, right? If they become members, you know, they're well-educated, they have a good income, uh, they will be a real benefit to our church. That person on the street, I don't know. You know, they're probably smelly. Uh, you know, who knows if they'll understand me if I'm talking to them. They're not going to be a great resource to our church, I can tell you that. So, you know, I think we'll just walk by this one. No. Freely you have received. Freely give. What have you ever done to deserve to have someone share the gospel with you? In what way do you deserve the salvation that God brings? Well, you received freely. God has given you every blessing in the heavenly places. Why not share it with that person, even if they have nothing to offer in return? We don't become any poorer for offering God's riches to others. God's resources are infinite. We didn't pay for their salvation. Christ did. Why not give Christ that person whom he loves by giving them the opportunity to hear the gospel? Principle number seven uh, this image is that of uh, a convoy delivering supplies to the army. And uh, as I was uh, listening to this book on tape, I was uh, impressed by how much effort Washington had to go through to get resources for his army. Right? He's, uh, it was a new country. They just created a Congress. Uh, they didn't have... Uh, you know, a lot of these basics that developed countries have, uh, including supply lines to the army, uh, all the department heads you need to keep an army well supplied. So Washington, as a general, had to spend a lot of his time and energy just finding food for his soldiers, clothing for his soldiers, weapons for his soldiers. And uh, that made his force less effective uh, as a fighting force. It made him less effective as a general. Jesus doesn't want us to be impaired in our mission, and that's why he says, provide neither gold nor silver nor copper in your money belts, nor bag for your journey, nor two tunics, nor sandals, nor staffs, for a worker is worthy of his food. The point there is Jesus is promising to provide for us. Right? If we're engaged in his work, Jesus We'll make sure that we have everything that we need to carry it. Now, we understand it could be done in various ways as we look at this passage and Jesus' instruction to uh, dwell in somebody's house. It's very possible that uh, the apostles were provided for by individuals in the cities they would preach. They would go, they would greet a house, they would be welcomed in, and those persons would sustain them. And that might be true with some missionaries today. They'll go and preach, and people will get saved, and they will support them. Uh, it is possible to also receive support from a church. We're supporting missionaries in Mexico. 
and, and that's a good thing. But ultimately, it's God who provides. Uh, it's possible to be supported through a job. There's nothing wrong with that. Paul would uh, occasionally stop and, and work and provide for himself and for those who were serving with him. Uh, that's, that's fine, too. But it's trusting in the Lord and not letting our fear of provision, lack of provision, inhibit our work because that would make us less effective. Okay, principle number eight. Uh, Jesus is instructing his disciples to, uh, as I mentioned, uh, now whatever city or town you enter, inquire who in it is worthy and stay there uh, till you go out. And when you go into a household, greet it. <coughs> They're forming these local contacts, uh, sometimes called uh, persons of peace. And uh, I was thinking of that again in regards to the Revolutionary War and Washington's uh, campaign. Often, uh, Washington would rely on local militia that the state would raise. So he had his Continentals. Those were the, uh, if you would, the professional army that would travel with Washington from state to state, but he also had militia that each state would raise to help in uh, the war effort. And uh, it was advantageous to have the militia. For one thing, there were additional resources during the battle. Uh, he had more soldiers to fight with. That was true also in Yorktown. Uh, also, they would uh, know the terrain better. They were the locals. And they could advise Washington, okay, we know this area well. Uh, this is the direction you should approach. And by the way, that's a back road that the enemy could be taking. So now you had not just additional resources, but you had uh, resources that were particularly uh, effective in their area that, uh, that you were uh, fighting. And you could apply the same to what Jesus was doing. He was instructing his disciples. They were going into a town. They would start with a single household and try to find someone who would be sympathetic for their cause to the gospel, someone who would be receptive. Uh, what do you have when you do it? Well, you have some local, a local station, right, for you to stay at as you're preaching. You have more manpower because now you have someone to help. And it's also a person who's going to be more effective in reaching that particular town. Why? Because they know everybody. And they know uh, that particular, the customs and the culture of that particular city. Uh, so they'll know what not to say and what to say to better communicate to people there. And, and we have the same thing today as missionaries go out. Uh, very important uh, principle to succeed is get some local workers on the ground. Start with someone, and as they get saved, use them to reach others. Raise local leadership, right? People who understand how the people in the area think and, uh, and could be uh, more effective in reaching uh, in, within the uh, parameters of the local culture than you could be. And then potentially you can even move on. So as the apostles were going to one city and reaching one person of peace, they can then move on to the next city, right? Setting up these different individuals who can continue to pass on the gospel. So that's a goal we should have uh, 
And, 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 and I hope as we're reaching somebody in the community, in a community, that they will be able to reach others too. So the effectiveness of our work is multiplied. Okay, that was principle number eight. Principle number nine, remember I promised you 10, so we're almost done, uh, is sustaining uh, troop morale. Uh, one of the reasons that uh, Washington and others would uh, hesitate sometime in entering into a battle is they didn't want to, to lose and have the soldiers discouraged. Yeah, like that. Um, because discouraged troops or troops with low morale will make a very ineffective fighting force. And, uh, and so the Lord also, he is concerned about uh, the troop morale of his uh, disciples. And so he says to them, if the household is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. I think this is the area in which I fail most as a missionary. And again, I'm using missionary in the term that we're all missionaries. We should all be bringing the gospel uh, to others. Uh, is I, I will offer the gospel to someone. I'll share the gospel with someone and they'll say, no, thank you. We're not interested. Or sometimes they'll be even more hostile and uh, in some way uh, ridicule me or abuse me. Uh, and so I don't want to ask anybody else, right? I've just lost the battle as far as I'm concerned. And now my morale is very low. And I'm not interested in, in continuing my missionary activity. Uh, and that's why Jesus says, let your peace Return to you. Why is it that you're out there and, uh, and reaching people with the gospel? It's because you love the Lord Jesus. And you know the Lord Jesus loves that person and he wants to see them saved. He wants to see them united to him. And, uh, and so out of love to the Lord, you're doing it. Well, the Lord doesn't love you any less because they said no, Right? The Lord appreciates your effort. He will still say to you, well done, good and faithful servant. You've done everything I've asked you to do. You asked. You greeted them. In uh, Mark, it says, um, you know, offer, you know, say peace to this house. Right? Really what you're doing there is you're bringing God's offer of salvation to that household. And just because they say no, doesn't mean that we should be unhappy because we've, we've done everything the Lord asked us to do. He, he even says, if people persecute you, well, rejoice in that day, right? Because you know you're in the center of God's will because that's what they did to prophets, the prophets of old. So it's okay when people say no, and it's okay if people will do more than say no and actually abuse you for what you have done. Uh, because you know you've, you've shown love to your Lord, and he appreciates it. Okay, last principle here is uh, appreciating the lasting value of what you do. Uh, this is a diamond, and, you know, they say make three months last forever. And the idea is, you know, you spend three months of your salary to buy your, your uh, engaged a diamond ring, and that will last forever, because diamond lasts forever. 
uh, actually diamonds will not last forever because the Lord will destroy the very elements of this universe. But uh, I guess it's the thought that counts, huh? Well, uh, Washington tried to encourage his soldiers in the same way. He would remind them, look, you're not just fighting for yourselves. You're fighting for your children and your children's children and your children's children's children. Why? Because the freedom you'll be purchasing from the British will be the freedom that they will enjoy. Right? So Washington wanted them to think of the uh, lasting value of what they were doing. Jesus was perhaps expressing the same thought to his disciples when he explained to them uh, what to do in case of rejection. He says, whoever will not receive you nor hear your words when you depart from that house or city, shake off the dust from your feet. Assuredly, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that City. Why would it be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment? Uh, the people of Sodom and Gomorrah will realize in the day of judgment their guilt and how much they deserve to be judged by God for all of eternity, and they'll be sad about it, for sure. But the people who had the apostles witness to them will find themselves in the same judgment. They are also sinners. Maybe their sins are not as, as gross as the one committed by Sodom and Gomorrah, but they'll be heading to the same place to hell, and they will know, I had a person knocking at my door with the gospel. Why did I say no? And that is why I believe the Lord is saying it will be less tolerable for these people. The people who had someone sharing the gospel with them and said no. It's going to be worse on that day than those who did not have it because they will know we were that close to get it. We could have been on the other side. And uh, I think the Lord is reminding his disciples here again to realize the value of what they were doing. There is an eternal soul at stake. And your words could reach that person for me and make an eternal difference in their lives. Okay. In closing, we always want to have applications from these passages. So one, if you have never received God's offer of reconciliation, I would say this is as good of a time as ever. Okay, receive eternal life. That is Jesus' offer for you. For free. He paid the debt. You just need to receive. He wants you to be that sheep that he picks up in his arms. And all, all you have to do is say yes to him. If you have received God's offer of salvation but never joined this missionary activity that we're talking about here, join it. Right? This is you, you are well qualified if you know the Lord Jesus to be part of this work. And uh, if you have already joined the mission, but sense that you've fallen out of it, it's a good time to stop and to think, why? Why have I stopped reaching out and witnessing to people? 
I remember as a young believer, I was a lot more eager to share. You know, I, first time I talked to my parents after being saved, I, I shared with them. Uh, I made sure I shared with each of my siblings. Uh, I would share with my friends. And I find that over the years, I've been sharing less and less and less. Uh, so it's, I think it's good for us to stop and to see if we can identify reasons why. Um, did we forget the cause? Jesus' compassion, Jesus' love for the lost hasn't stopped. All right, so maybe my love for people have stopped. Maybe I've grown cold toward people. Jesus hasn't. The same reason remains to reach out to people. If it was Jesus' love before, it's still Jesus' love is still the same. He still wants us to reach them. Uh, do we feel unqualified? I already touched that point. You know, think, well, I'm just not good enough. Well, you know, these people that Jesus chose had no qualification at all other than knowing him. Now, maybe we need to spend more time with the Lord. I'll grant you that. I think the closer we are to him, the better we know him, the more effective we can be in sharing with others. So there may be room for improvement, but really all we need is to know him to be able to share him with others. Did we forget God's power. You know, the uh, miracles that the disciples did were not always effective. The miracles Jesus did were not always effective in convincing people, right? He did miracles, and he was accused of doing them by the power of Satan. So having the power to perform miracles is no guarantee to get people to believe. We have God's power to win the victory in his word, which is the sword of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is still just as powerful today as he ever was. And the word we have available to us is still the word of salvation. It hasn't changed. It's still God's power. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, Paul says, because it is the power of God for salvation. We still have God's power of salvation. Okay, I won't uh, continue on with this list, but uh, yeah, please uh, think about, about it. Think about what is it that might have discouraged you over the years and, and review. Has God provided uh, for us uh, effective principles of successful mission work in this passage. If he has, uh, let's, let's carry them out. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you for the Lord Jesus and his heart for the lost. We were ashamed, Lord, to think of our lack of compassion compared to him. But uh, we pray that you help us out of love for the one who loves so well to, uh, to go and pursue uh, this work. Lord, if there's a challenge, you challenge any of us uh, listening to this passage on, on, on picking up, uh, picking up the, the banner again and going out again for the Lord Jesus. Uh, we pray that, uh, that you will uh, help us, aid us, give us that power to, to go on for you and to see uh, more souls united with the precious Savior. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.